Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is Mortgage Lending Mastery. Get the knowledge you need from America's Mortgage Mentor. With more than 30 years of experience and over $1 billion in lifetime fundings, you'll learn to take your mortgage practice to new heights. Certified Mortgage Planner and CEO of KineticSparkConsulting.com. Here is Jennifer Duplessis. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Mortgage Lending Mastery. I am your host, Jen Duplessis. And I just want you to remember that our focus is about you, the mortgage loan originator, helping you and your business to grow to heights you've never thought possible. So here we are again. I have a great guest with me today. You all are going to be so excited about this. I would like to welcome Dave Stevens, who is the CEO and president of the Mortgage National Mortgage Bankers Association. So welcome, Dave. Hi, Jen. Hi, glad to have you here. Um, so, just some background on Dave and why why he's um, with us. Obviously, you know he's the president um, of Mortgage Bankers Association, so he has a lot of influence in our industry. But also, he has served as the assistant secretary for Housing and Federal um, FHA. FHA was a commissioner, and um, you know he was also with Freddie Mac. He he was. Um, with Wells Fargo and how I met Dave was years and years and years ago at World Savings when we were um, working together there. So Dave, again, I just, I thank you so much for coming on to my podcast and sharing some of your insights. So what I'd like to get started with is what most people may not know is that you actually started off as a loan originator, just like most of the people that are listening to this podcast, out there beating the street like everybody else. That's right. So tell us about your your uh, path in mortgage originating. That was my, uh, that actually, I always tell people that was the, the best job I ever had was being a mortgage originator. Um, I don't know if I could do it today. I'd probably get arrested. I'd violate some new rule or regulation. But um, no, back this was 1983, and uh, I was actually working in a political job, believe it or not, at the time. But I needed to make some extra money. And a friend uh, who's well known in the industry and a very senior person at another company um, called me and said, "You know, you can make thirty thousand dollars as a loan rep." And <laughs> Back in 1983, that seemed like a lot of money. So um, I joined the business, and uh, it, back in the day, might be very similar today, but I learned from uh, people who worked in the business already, and they taught me what to do. I ended up coming up with my own system to be successful and uh, quickly rose to the top of the sales organization that I was working for. Um, we were very competitive and had sales contests and all the stuff that hopefully many of you have. Um, and that spirit of competition drove me to want to beat everybody. And yeah. so I became pretty good at it and very competitive. Uh, got promoted up through the ranks and ended up somehow in this seat in Washington. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, so what was your system? You said you came up with some system. So what was that? Were you well, it's more... funny because I had actually, um, my, my first sales job out of college was working for Lanier business products. I sold office equipment. 
And Lanier was very regimented. You can never get away with it in today's world, but they literally, I had to give a report every morning before I went out as to how many calls I was going to make and who I was going to call on. And I, I had to return to the office every night and, and create a post-call report of who I visited. And then we established tickler files so that I would always follow up on the leads that I was creating along the way. But it was very regimented, disciplined sales schedule. When I came in the mortgage business, most everybody I worked with had never been through formal sales training. They just, it was built on relationship. Um, and I decided to implement my linear sales system in the mortgage business. And um, at, at Lanier, I learned about uh, really enjoying rejection. In fact, the more I could get rejected, I knew I was one step closer to getting a yes. So I had no problem after being thrown out of office buildings, selling office equipment, of being thrown out of real estate offices if that's what it took. So I, I just literally went out cold calling in my very first days on the job, once I knew enough to be dangerous with the mortgage products, and called on uh, individual real estate agents. I got lists of names. I did follow-up appointments. And um, I found that I quickly propelled into the top ranks of my sales organization uh, simply because I was just working harder at it than anybody hungry. else was and and literally blew past a lot of the uh, kind of old school mentality that existed and always exists in, in the lending business at some level. Yeah, and that's just sitting back and waiting. So you were hungry. I mean, I you were hungry. hungry after. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and I love hearing how regimented it was. And of course, you know, working with you and, you know, years gone by, I mean, that's all we ever did was we were right. very strict about what we were going to do. And that's how I learned. And what I've really been trying to to um, explain to the, you know the subscribers that are listening to this podcast is the importance of time blocking and really having control of your schedule rather than you're having your schedule control of you and right. and that really is a theme with all top sales people in any industry is really having good control and knowing you know where your goals are so now thinking back and then, and then we'll move on to other things but thinking sure. back you know you used to have a lot of really fun stories about some sales time. So can you think of anything that, that was just a fun story? I remember some stories about um, some buses being parked out of a real estate office. I mean, I, I, oh, there's yeah. pretty, so, a lot of fun stories. So I started as a loan rep in Denver, Colorado. And uh, for anybody from Denver, who might, if you're listening, um, and uh, Remax was really a brand new company way back then. Um, they were a young upstart real estate company that where you could get 100% commission uh, if you were a top producer, uh, uh, something that today is much more common. But um, as you know, they all paid their own fee back, back in the day to be part of the company, and then they collect all the commission. So they recruited all the top producers, always the toughest offices to crack. Um, and so being in Colorado and being an avid skier, uh, we created the Remax Ski Bus. And what we did is we leased a bus for the winter, an actual, uh, like, slightly better than a school bus. We took out all the seats past about two thirds of the of the way um, into the bus, and so the back section was empty. That's where we stored all the ski equipment, and uh, there might have been some alcohol involved that got stored back there, and who knows what. And then we'd invite real estate agents. They'd actually pay their way. They'd buy the lift ticket. We we worked out a group discount with I think it was Keystone at the time. We worked out a group discount for lift tickets. And every Saturday morning, we'd meet at a different parking lot near a certain Remax office, uh, whichever one was in the queue. We'd do a lot of promotion during the week to get on the Remax ski bus. The agents would pay their own way. I think that would still be considered RESPA compliant even today. And uh, But we would spend the day literally driving up the hill, skiing all day together, driving back down afterwards, um, again, 
partaking in whatever beverages might have been on the bus at the time. Uh, we had a professional driver, so it was all good. I mean, it built indelible relationships. relationships. And I can tell you the names of the real estate agents to this day, decades later, uh, who we used to hang with because they became your friends, which, Jen, you know better than anybody how important that is. So yeah. it, it was a really successful thing. But there were a lot of other things, like um, I was trying to break into an office that I couldn't get into. Uh, they were very closed. Um, pulled up outside one day with two stretch limos. Um, they Back in the day, they'd have sales meetings the same day every week. Then they'd go on tour and tour right. all the new homes. I honestly don't even know if that still happens today. Yep, they still do. And, uh, and, and we, I just pulled out front with two limos and dressed in a tuxedo along with another uh, uh, loan representative uh, who I worked with. And, you know, they poured into the limos just because that was fun. Now, that one may not work today, but it was anything different to try to get into an yeah. office because offices were closed. Um, back then, they had relationships with, with uh, pre-existing relationships with lenders just like they do today. And so it was anything unique to have me separate me, allow me to stand out and get an opportunity to have a face to face encounter uh, with a real estate agent was was the method that I uh, deployed. Yeah. You know, and it's funny because here we are 30 years later, it's all the same thing. It's maybe not a closed office all the time, but there's so many MSAs, you know, with different companies in there that they don't want you in the office if you're not that that particular lender. So right. it really is a. Um, matter of differentiating yourself. I call it being a purple cow. You know, you want to be totally different than the rest of the herd and you have to find out unique ways to do it. And so thanks for sharing those stories. Those are really, sure. those are really fun stories. And I, you know, I, there's plenty more where that came from. I remember many times hanging out with you. Yes. So, um, so let's talk about, you know, let's talk about some of the issues that are going on in our business now and, and some of the key initiatives um, that, that the Mortgage Bankers Association is currently um, working on so that you can kind of relay some of this information to us, real timely information in the market as we start approaching our wonderful August 1st deadline. <laughs> well, you know, it, it is, it's interesting. When I left the administration, uh, left FHA, I was determined. I was only going to spend a couple of years there, try to work on FHA and get and the housing market. And I was asked to be part of the president's housing team. So it was all... A really interesting time, but then I was always going to go back to the business. I ended up at MBA because um, I was convinced by a group of lenders that you know there was no leadership fighting the war uh, in Washington, and it really is a war. I mean, it's uh, to list the issues would take a long time. We have 120 full-time employees here in this building, a little over that, that do nothing but policy, attorneys, CPAs, economists, and we're working on a broad array of issues at any given point in time. But, um, you know, TRID is just one area within the CFPB that we're all working to implement to get the, you know, the Respatila combined disclosures, all of that implemented operationally. But it's not the only thing, right? I mean, there's, there's so many rules and regulations that have been deployed by 11 regulators that are most actively regulating our industry, something none of us ever had to deal with pre-recession. Uh, and they're engaged in everything deciding you know, how you get paid, how you disclose how you're paid to your, to, to your client, depending on what kind of business you are. Some folks have to get licensed and tested. Other ones don't. Um, there's, we've created a, a completely unlevel playing field that literally picks winners or losers based on the business model they operate in. Uh, and that's coming out of anything from Basel, which regulates banks differently than non-banks, 
to the CSBS, who's probably going to release something in the next uh, uh, short period of time about non-bank servicing. It doesn't matter your business model per se. It just whatever it is, you op probably operate under a different set of rules than somebody else, and that confusion really is not good for the consumer. So. Um, in the next couple of weeks, I have 15 CEOs coming into Washington, uh, representing small independent mortgage bankers, community banks, credit unions, and the CEO of the largest lender in the country, um, all coming together to represent industry. And we're going to meet in the White House. We're meeting in the president's conference room. Uh, we're going to meet over at FHFA after that uh, with Mel Watt. We're going to meet with Rich Cordray over at CFPB, just as a handful of small group meetings where we literally are going to walk them through the impact of confusion on the lending community because yeah. you know everybody in the loan origination business knows like I do that all you want to do is a good thing for your customer you love housing you want to help people get uh, into that joy of home ownership and it's really the impediments are all based on the process controls overlays uh, the inability to use judgment and decision-making anymore. A lot of the things that have really made it much harder for housing are the things that I deal with day in and day out. Um, yeah. And that's that's at a high level. One thing I would add, Jen, is um, the most important thing you can have in Washington is to have be a really loud, organized, powerful voice. I mean, if you think of the National Rifle Association, no matter what you think about them, you know they're strong and nobody gets anything done around them without them okaying it. They can stop legislation. That's what our industry needs to be, is completely well organized uh, behind one group. I, I think we've made a lot of mistakes by splintering up into a whole bunch of different organizations. And in Washington, that doesn't serve us well. Being well-funded, being really strong, being really articulate and passionate about what we care about, uh, collectively, you find there's a lot more things that unite us than divide us, and that's what we need to focus on. Right, I agree, and I, you know, I would have to say, you know, you bringing in the, you know, 15 CEOs or players in the market. Um, I'm, I'm so thankful to hear that you're doing that because I've, I've said for years and years, and it's sort of a, a day late, a dollar short because we should have done that a long time ago before yep. all of this regulation came out and and yeah we're a real quiet group of people for for um, how whining and complaining we are about the changes <laughs> it's so yep. funny we, we can't stand all the change but yet in our business if we didn't have this change we'd probably be bored you know and well, so we need to embrace it but we need to we need to be a bigger voice in the beginning side instead of being reactive and I love you know I saw you a couple years ago when we were at the Mortgage Bankers Association at Mid-Atlantic and you had said you know What's happened to our industry is like the, uh, you know, when your child gets in trouble, you swing the pendulum so far one way. And, and I really like knowing and, and reading all of what I'm, you know, been reading in the Chronicles and hearing from everyone is, you know, how the regulation is starting to come back a little bit. We're starting to get a little more breathing room. And I think this meeting is really going to, you know, perpetuate and, and launch that. Yeah, I, I, it doesn't happen with one meeting. I mean, Rich no. Cordray uh, called me at, uh, on Friday after releasing the change to the complaint database where they now want uh, people to tell their narrative, something that I uh, strongly disagree with, and we went public against it. They're not always going to do what you want, but you need to be there present in front of them. And the most important thing, I, I, I get a lot of um, those that want to be detractors to the way I approach things, want me to be louder and more aggressive. But that will just close doors, not open them. So there's this balance between being articulate and uh, persuasive and having the argument on your side. You can't just kick and scream at them either. And uh, you, you've got to be able to be, you know, 
vigilant in your effort, but some, some of these things can happen quickly. Some of them take a little bit longer, but just having this group of executives called into the, the West Wing, by the way, it's the third uh, year in a row I brought a team in uh, to meet with the president's team. And um, they've been very successful meetings. So we've gotten you know, a lot of things out of those for the industry that, uh, that have, are helping all the lenders right now. So right, and I think it's important for the voice to be heard, you know, on the street to know exactly what's happening out there, you know, with each one of us. And, you know, a good example is um, we just closed last week a loan for one of the senators. And I've been fortunate enough to do quite a few loans for senators and congressmen. And you know, the biggest complaint is, really, do you need that paperwork? Do you really, <laughs> really need the fifth page of something? And the answer is yes. And, yeah. you know, you participated in signing all of the regulation and, you know, compliance that this is part of. And he, and he said, oh, my gosh, this is crazy. And I said, yeah, but, you know, no one came and asked the people on the street. So if we can take the street to the decision makers, I think that's a wonderful, um, a wonderful initiative that you're doing. So what else is going on? What are some other things that we can get involved in to help our industry and to be a voice and make things better? Well, um, I'll tell you, I mean, the easy thing to do, uh, which Jen, I know you're part of, is to join the Mortgage Action Alliance. It's it's free. You don't even have to be an MBA member, quite frankly. Any individual can join. Um, and you go to the MBA's website, uh, mba.org, and look for the Mortgage Action Alliance um, And I'll icon. put, I'll put just, a link on my episode notes for that, oh, that's make great. it easier. But that's really important because when something important is happening in Washington and we need to get everybody to call their member of Congress, nothing is better than having lots of people make phone calls when you need them to make phone calls. And uh, so when there's uh, an issue that's really critical, we can send out uh, a notification to all MA members, Mortgage Action Alliance members, and they can uh, respond. It's It's been really effective. Um, and there's a lot of things on the Hill right now that you everybody wants. I mean, there's points and fees legislation that we're working on literally as we speak. Um, but there's other issues that it could also go the other way against our business and uh, on the regulatory side. So being able to respond very quickly um, to the Mortgage Action Alliance is, is really important. Great. I'll give you just one other side note. We're, yeah. Education is another key thing. As you all know, um, our industry is getting older. And uh, uh, <laughs> there's a lot more people who look like me than... Uh, look like young entrants to the um, uh, mortgage finance system, and I'm worried. A lot of our, a lot of the lenders in this country are worried about like, where's the future loan origination? Where's future leadership going to come from? We have an active education program, but we literally have started a new program where we're partnering with colleges and universities uh, to bring a program called Mortgage Bound um, to to universities that we're we're people getting ready to graduate from college or in college can take a look at the mortgage industry uh, and get a teaser. And if they like it, they can uh, take a short, fairly short program, but it gives them step one into getting into the mortgage business. So really focused on trying to recruit um, new talent into the mortgage business. We're going to try to partner with uh, Fannie and Freddie to see if they want to join us in this effort. It's something that we need to keep the industry moving forward because we need a lot more talent for the future generation that's uh, driving our way right now. That's interesting. I just got back from a week-long speaking tour, and you know, everyone in the room has ten or more years of experience, and even more have twenty years or more. Hardly right. anyone was new, and you know, we always we've always said, you know, you can't go to college to be a mortgage lender, but 
how cool is this that now maybe we have that opportunity, maybe even through yeah. internships, et cetera. That's, that's awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. That's really important. I think that's something grassroots that we can do locally is, is maybe get in there and, and do some of that. Um, so let me ask you this. This is something that's of interest to me. So what what is the MBA doing right now, or, or are you even doing anything to responsibly um, widen some of the credit boxes that are out there? Because we have... We, we just have some, as a matter of fact, I just saw a cartoon ad someplace, I can't remember what it was, saying, you know, it's amazing that we have a great credit score and we have all this stuff, but yet we still are paying rent. Yeah. You know. Well, th- this is, so this is the number one issue, this is the number one issue that uh, folks in this administration are concerned about. We spent a lot of time meeting with them to talk about how to responsibly expand credit. Part of it is um, we work for an industry that has just been through, you know, an extraordinary period of repurchases and demnifications, you know, we see nothing but we see legal actions. Um, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, I think, is bordering on the edge when it comes to enforcement, where uh, we're getting away from providing good advice and counsel to, to financial institutions on how to do a better business, where instead just first step is to go to enforcement. These kinds of actions create, um, uh, you know, far less clarity and far more concern about ex- broadening credit. In fact, most particularly larger finance, financial institutions are contracting credit to all but the most credit worthy that don't need these protections anyway in the first place. Um, so there, the one area we've been doing a lot of focus is first getting the rules of the road far more clear, particularly around reps and warrants. Um, this came out of our White House meeting in September uh, with FHFA, CFPB was there, um, and all the members of the, all the groups to the administration, HUD, Treasury, and I won't name all the other agencies that you may not know. But um, from that meeting came a term sheet to the MBA. We brought a group of lenders together to talk about the terms associated with getting better clarity on reps and warrants. That's what the GSEs just rolled out. Um, Mel Watt announced it at our conference about a month later in October, and they're working through that. But we need to get even more clarity there, like alternative dispute resolution or independent dispute resolution. Um, so if there is a, a disagreement on a defect in a loan file, that there's an objective observer who can look at that and negotiate whether that's truly something worthy of indemn or repurchase. So the reason why those rules are really important is that when you see overlays, credit overlays, quality control checks, having to go back two or three times to retrack or reconfirm even the smallest item in a file that may have nothing to do with whether the borrower is really qualified for that mortgage. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of quality control is really brought on because of concern about repurchase or in-dam or worse, potentially an enforcement action. So, you know, from my perspective, we've got to create an environment that encourages um, reasonable judgment to be made in the underwriting decision without an overbearing fear of retribution. You and I grew up in that kind of environment where that was uh, the way underwriters could actually operate. They actually underwrote loans and used their brain, not just a set of uh, a rule book and a checklist. But we need to get there as we go forward. And that's a, a massive area of focus right now. Yeah, I think so too. You know, what we used to say was, you know, that they were paying so much attention to the ants on the ground that they missed the semi passing them by, you know. And, yes, right. and truly, does it, you know, to ask that question, does this really significantly impact the borrower's ability to repay or what we think will be risk in the loan, whether or not they initialed a piece of paper? 
Yeah, and the other thing we're working on with CFPB, and again, we can laundry list a million projects we're working on, but yeah. the ones, one of the ones we're focusing on, we're going to be talking to Rich Cordray and his team about when we meet with them uh, in about two weeks, is um, modifications to the Appendix Q. I, I, this may not oh. mean anything to anybody right now unless you do jumbos, but um, the problem with the QM rule is if it weren't for the patch, the, the basic punt that says... Uh, uh, we wrote this rule. It's pretty narrow. So just to make sure it doesn't cut out too much credit, if it's approved by Freddie and Fannie, you're okay, you're in. Or if it's an FHA uh, approval, yeah. you can go ahead and have a QM eligible loan. We need to really modify the Appendix Q itself so that we can broaden non-agency lending or portfolio lending to be far more flexible. Because one thing all of us know who've been in the business or are in the business today, a 43 debt-to-income ratio is too liberal for some borrowers, too conservative for other borrowers, and more importantly, it doesn't allow you to tell a story about yourself. If you're right, self-employed right. or you have a roommate or you have or family Or you have a departing residence, so we're counting the debt against you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All the, all the examples yeah. that you could rattle off far more frequently than readily available to you than to me because you deal in the right. business. But right. um, So tell me... Tell me how you feel, going on to our last topic that I wanted to, to address with you is tell me how you feel, feel about, you know, the Tiller Respite integration and the lack of, um, oh, I can't even think of the word, just uh, how, how segmented the instructions are. Everyone seems to have a different take on it. Everyone's confused about it. I know that, that there's a lot of pressure to get CF, um, CFPB to be a little more, well, a lot more succinct in exactly what's required because everyone's spending a ton of money and time and resources putting something together. We don't even know if it's going to work. Yeah. Well, this is all, this is all coming down to the whole readiness question um, and will the industry be ready it depends on who you talk to they say they were will I was just uh, keynoting the uh, Ellie May conference and Ellie May assures their clients that they'll be ready um, you know we have a broad network I don't need to preach to the choir here but we have a broad network of people who are involved in the settlement process and disclosure process from front to back and until you get the mortgage to settlement um, this is a rule that's going to cause extraordinary change management challenges for the industry, and there will be confusion. Um, I love the fact that we were supposed to simplify the settlement. I implemented the last RESPA rule, by the way. I was FHA commissioner in 2009. Right. I had to implement the rule that had already been worked on for some time. We're now doing this new rule, and the forums have gotten bigger, not smaller, uh, right. in an effort to simplify. So how that happens, welcome to Washington. Uh, but I will say that uh, the thing that I think that CFPB can do are two things. One is um, regulators tend to not want to provide written FAQs uh, right. or answers to specific questions because the general theme, especially by uh, general counsels inside regulators, is you know when you provide too much definition, you limit your ability to enforce. So they like their answers just follow the follow the rule. Um, but we need specific answers to questions. Uh, and more importantly, we need a confidence uh, message from the Bureau itself that when the rule goes into effect, that there will not be enforcement actions as long as the industry or that the members of industry are with all due diligence and effort Try. trying to implement the rule. We need that communication clearly stated because if at, at the point the rule goes into effect, if the enforcement divisions think this is a free-for-all to come after uh, industry and catch them making mistakes, we could see credit clamp down really Even worse. So um, yeah. 
you know, no rule is perfect. Uh, right. The Bureau is not perfect. Uh, they've done a lot of good things, by the way. I'm, I'm, I've been a champion of uh, a lot of what Rich has done, but they've also done a lot of things that aren't great. And they need to recognize that they aren't Im Im immune to criticism or making mistakes because this rule will have mistakes that are going to be made. Well, and I think that gets back to your enforcement first. You know, I remember the old days we used to talk about ready, aim, fire. Yes. Or, or, you know, fire, Ready, fire, 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 aim, you yes. know, and if, if they can hopefully, you know, look at that because, you know, I was online looking at um, their calendar, their perfect process, and I, I don't know, and, and now this is something that I'm going out and speaking to real estate agents and, and companies about is really understanding the timeline that they have. If you look at their timeline online, we're looking at a two and a half month process that will be initiated at a peak period of time. And I hope everyone's ready to have a lull in income for two months while we try to make these loans happen because every little mistake will push us back three days and then three days again. So I'm, that's what I'm most concerned about is that everyone is um, talking big talk about all these changes that are coming up and are we prepared, but nobody really understands the implications and and the timelines that that the CFPB has put out there, and, and I guess that's what you know is the biggest concern for me is whether or not um, we could be looking at even longer timelines because we can't, we don't have our act together. Yeah, I think. Um, look, I, I, it's as of today when we're doing this uh, this discussion. Um, I saw that the I think it was National Association of Mortgage Brokers put out a call to. Um, delay the implementation. Having been a regulator, there's no way a regulator will ever delay the implementation. They want to keep the pressure on industry, focused on um, implementing their policies, and any signal of delay would uh, weaken the resolve, they believe, by the industry to, it would slow down their pathway to readiness. So the goal right now, I think, of a regulator, and I can't speak for the Bureau, but I think the goal of the Bureau is to essentially keep their foot on the backs of the necks of the industry so that we do everything possible to get ready to implement the rule. Um, but I am hoping, and we have, we've been through this with uh, uh, Richard Cordray and the team before and on another uh, unrelated rule, that there'll be a signal to the industry as we get really close to the final date. Um, uh, in, 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 towards the end of summer, that there'll be um, some form of announcement that says, you know, as long as you're trying to implement with all due diligence, we're not going to hold you accountable for uh, for small errors. So I mean, that that has to happen. But to your point, um, Jen, the you know just the the three day provision and the violations there are uh, and having to potentially reschedule and redraw documents uh, for minor mistakes is one that I you know hard to anticipate what this is going to mean. It's hard to anticipate for the real estate community how they're going to think about writing new real estate contracts. Are they going to put longer cushion periods in to allow for these kinds of events? Um, because if they don't, you could be out of contract suddenly or be doing last minute extensions. So all of this is going to be a, a real challenge. And, um, you know, I think the problem with the regulatory community you know, the advantages they think they're thinking about the consumer, at least yeah. that's their intent. The, the disadvantages, they don't really know the industry. And until you actually live in the business and understand all that can go wrong uh, in a transaction where so many people are involved, from home inspectors to appraisers to you name it uh, uh, in the process, um, and all the documentation that's now required, you know, it's going to be it's going to be interesting when this thing gets implemented. Hopefully, most of the industry will be ready, at least the major service providers. But we'll see. 
Yeah. And I think they are. And I think, you know, I think it's a great call not to push it back. I mean, you know, it delays the inevitable. I think right. just more clarity, uh, you know, or at least saying, you know, that we're not going to enforce. I think that's the big fear. You know, yeah. the big fear is that. Now, from the loan officer standpoint, I'm excited about it because I think that finally, and this is something I've been an advocate for years and years and years, even before NMLS, was education, education, education. As you know, I've taught, taught, taught. That's yes, That's been have. my thing. I've never been really a salesperson. I've been an educator. You know, I think I think the true cream is going to rise to the top in our industry. Um, yeah. and, and I think that, that that's where we have an opportunity, like you were saying earlier, to pull in from the colleges and universities, these various more sophisticated people. And I think that those of us that are in the industry for a long period of time, and if we think that we can go back to the old days and just be order takers, yeah. um, this is a awakening call. Right. I really well, think it is. You know, you, you and I both know we're going through a systemic shift in the industry anyway. The, huh? the uh, age of the never-ending refi wave is really about to come to a, a pretty abrupt finish here. And... Um, uh, as we go through this sort of long-term change in the market, it is going to be a very different world where the kind of stuff that you talk about with uh, your network of um, people who listen to you is going to be the most important thing people can learn. But I think more importantly, I mean, this is why I'm a supporter of the SAFE Act. I love it. I just wish everybody had to take a test yeah. um, because I think you know some financial institutions may get adversely selected when the they're hiring people who failed the test and they couldn't work for that independent mortgage banker and ended up at the bank. But I love the idea of making this industry more professional, to have, uh, have levels of knowledge you have to have to be able to get in and play because it, it does in the end of the day, you know, keeps the used car salesperson back selling cars and not jumping into the business when it sounds good. So Right. Well, every other industry that's financial in nature is regulated Yeah. Um, from a licensing standpoint. there's well, not... it's, it's harder to be a hairdresser in Washington, D.C. <laughs> than it is to be a loan officer for a bank. So it's just an interesting dynamic. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's great. Well, Dave, again, we I, I can't thank you enough, you know, for you to shed, shed some light on all of this. And, I, you know, I always love yakking with you and talking with you about anything and everything so but before we go I always ask every every one of my guests on the show um, what are you reading besides Grisham what are you reading <laughs> you know um, God, I, I have I, I, you wouldn't know these books I'm Other reading than the, chronological I know, I know you listen yeah, so to I, all I, kinds of news like we were talking about this earlier but I have probably five books sitting on my desk right now and some of them are uh, are business books I have uh, uh, Bill Clinton's um, most recent book that I'm about halfway through. Uh, I've got a book that was given to me by someone in the industry, by the way, who um, uh, immigrated here from uh, the Czech Republic and uh, talks about the lifestyle growing up in Czech Republic and uh, the politics of, of survival there versus here and uh, with his family. So just uh, a variety of books. But I, I will tell you, I go from sort of the heavy stuff to light reading, which is why I, Grisham is what I'm I'm, I'm scanning through. I'm about to hop a train here. I have to go up to the Hill and meet with a couple of members of Congress. I'm going up to New York tonight because I have to do Squawk Box on CNBC and then uh, John Stossel Fox show tomorrow oh, yeah. in New York. Yeah. 
And I'll be reading my Grisham on the way up just to get my head out of all To get your head cleared a little bit from (laughs) everything that goes on. Absolutely. Well, thank you again, Dave. It really means a lot to me. And so for everyone listening, all of um, my show, you know, the episode notes will be up at my website, kineticsparkconsulting.com. And I'll have links to some of the books that that Dave's listening or reading. So if you want to grab onto that, you can as well. And again, we thank you so much for everything that you're doing for our industry. It means a tremendous amount to all of us. Good talking to you, Chad. Okay, take care. Thank you for listening to Mortgage Lending Mastery. If you liked what you heard, please drop by iTunes and leave a comment or rating. Get more free email updates, transcripts, selling and education resources, and Jen's upcoming speaking events. Just visit our website at kineticsparkconsulting.com.